had to say and uh, wanted to clear the air on that in case you think the pastor's going somewhere, you're not that lucky yet. Uh, we're going to look today, as I said, three things that God cannot do. That's what we're going to look at. I'm reminded of the joke where the fellow is bragging to his boss about what he can do and what he can't do, and uh, he's talking about how great he is, his, the employee is, and the boss looks at him and says, you think you're so great, why don't you just fly? And he says, I don't want to. Uh, he can do anything he wants, but he doesn't want to fly. That's the way God handles us a little bit. He can do absolutely anything. When I was in, uh, a kid in Bible school, they, they said, can God make a rock so big he can't pick it up? You know, just challenges like that. God can do anything. There's nothing impossible for God. But there's things he just won't do. And one of the first things he won't do is lie. God cannot lie. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. And we'll go about 6, verse 18, but we'll pick it up in about verse 13, Hebrews. Uh, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiply, I will multiply thee. And so after he had persistently endured he obtained the promise for men verily swear by the greater and the oath for confirmation is of them an end of strife he's talking here about how we you know it used to be popular when we didn't have contracts and write something down uh we'd swear by the stars or we'd swear by our mother's grave and all that we'll get into that one day about how vain oaths, when we talk about vain oaths, when we study Samson, Samson took a vow and lived by the Nazarite vow. But that's what they're referring to here. For God said, I will, and that's enough for God. Because he keeps his word, and he is positive with his word. He doesn't recant on his word. And verse 17 says, Where God willingly, more abundantly, to show unto the heirs of the promise, the in." Mutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two innumerable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before them. So we see there in verse 18, it's impossible for God to lie. And according to God's word, by the mouth of one or two, by two or three witnesses shall every word be established. You can pick that up again in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, where Paul says, A servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledge of the truth which is often good, goodlessness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. He promised the plan of salvation. He promised a refuge, a refuge for the sinner, and he kept that promise and gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So one of the first things we need to know about God is he could lie if he wanted to, but he won't. He cannot lie. He holds himself to the contract which we have in our hands, even if you don't. 
He'll keep his word even if you can't. God cannot lie. And we'll see that represented. That word immutable means to stand a a state of being unchangeable. We see immutable there. It's kind of the big word in verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. The hope set before them was heaven. The immutable refugee refuge was God had promised and brought God has given his oath to mankind that there is a way to get to heaven. One of the other things he's talked about is God cannot change. One of the other markers, God cannot change. First thing is he cannot lie. The second thing is he cannot change. Oh, if you study uh, the word repentance, which was brought up here in Sunday school class, very good presentation on repentance and what it's all about. It's not a require. It's uh, a requ- I would say, I want to say it's not a requirement for salvation. It should be a justification before salvation. But uh, are you really saved if you haven't changed your mind about sin? And that's all repentance is. John the Baptist was to holler and repent, repent and be saved, or repent, here comes the Lamb of God. Change your mind about sin. He was talking mostly to Hebrew men there, and uh, Hebrew people, and scholars of many different races and nationalities eventually. But when he says repentance, he's talking about change your mind about sin in your life. You know, they were developing, the Hebrews still to this day, and even us as Christians, you know, I'm saved and I can get to heaven. So maybe I can get by with cheating on my taxes, and maybe I can get by with, you know, uh, cheating on my wife, or maybe I can get by with other sins in my life. That's not going to happen. That's not the way it works. You see, uh, the Hebrews, at that day, they would take and commit a sin, and then they'd go get a lamb, and they'd sacrifice it, and it was all cleaned up. And John the Baptist was telling them, repent, change your mind about sin, try to avoid it truthfully, because there's a lamb that's ahead of me before he came down for baptism. There's a son of God's coming down, and he's going to be sacrificed for your sins. You don't need to cover your sins with the blood of an innocent lamb. God's blood was shed for mankind. So you need to change your attitude about sin. I've seen many men profess salvation. And unless some kind of repentance takes place, I am not the judge of whether they're truly saved or not. But you should change your mind, even if it's a regret for the sins you made. There's two things I like to see when somebody accepts Christ as their Savior. I like to listen for it's the word, I'm sorry, and I'm thankful. You don't have to say both. You don't have to say either one. But you should feel it when you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior. All it is is thanking God for what he done. And all it is is, uh, is being sorry for your sins. That's very simple. To what degree and to what sins, that's between you and God. That's a relationship you have to work out with God. So that's what he's talking about, an oath and a promise here. He's talking about God 
gives us his word, and he cannot change. In Malachi 3.6, he says, I am the Lord, I change not. You thought I was going to talk about money when we got to Malachi. No. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, I am the Lord, I cannot change. And, you know, I look for a double witness to that, and that's back here in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 is a double witness to that portion of Scripture. took me years to find it, and the Lord would just bless me. I guess I didn't look at the coordinates in some of the Bibles we have, but Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. God, God cannot change. He could change. He can change his mind, but that's he's done since Genesis. Back to that word repentance. If you want to look up the word repentance, look it up, and you'll find that God repented. He changed his mind. We tend to always allocate it with changing our mind about sin, and that's where it involves, and that's where it takes place in salvation. But simply, the word repent means to change your mind. God can change his mind. He can't change, but ever since he existed, which is beyond our comprehension, he has the right to change his mind. And he can't change himself. You're not going to change him. There's nothing you can do, no bargain you can make to get him to change. You might get him to change his mind. Are you thinking of a, a place where they changed his mind? Sodom and Gomorrah. Someone stood and bargained with him and asked him, if there be 50 men, would you spare the city? If there be 40 men, if there be 30 men, if there be 20. And God got ahead of him and said, if there be five or seven, I'll spare that city. He can change his mind, but he doesn't change the principles and concepts and morality he pioneered in the world. He pioneered since the beginning of time. God cannot change. I am God. I am the Lord. I cannot change. Malachi 3.6. In Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Does that mean God can't change his mind? God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he make it good? Numbers 23.19. That's what I just tried to explain. He can do whatever he wants, but he once he says it, that's the way it is. We get the, you know where we get the term etched in stone? Etched in stone. And that's from the concept. God can change his mind, but he does not, but it does if it does not involve sin. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. That's Genesis chapter 18, verses 25 through 31. And that's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where he could change his mind. But he doesn't change, he doesn't change himself. You can change your mind, but you don't have to change yourself. Amen. So, what's the last thing God cannot do? He cannot allow sin before his presence. The closest I could find in Scripture where he allowed sin to come before his presence after Lucifer was cast out of the garden was in the book of Job, where he came with a number of angels before him. Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, you'll see that Lucifer comes before God in his sin. 
telling him how there's, that's why he's called the accuser. He comes and tells God what, what's going on in earth. He says, you know, my buddy, uh, uh, B, 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 no, I don't want to say his name. Uh, he, says, he says, you know, my buddy, uh, he's done this. Or, you know, my buddy, he's done that. He'll tell God that. I believe at the judgment seat, if you read your scripture in Revelations, Satan will be standing there trying to accuse you. And Jesus Christ is going to intervene and say, no, he's covered by the blood. It doesn't matter if he did that or not. He repented of his sin, and he told me he was sorry. And even if he didn't have a chance, like the thief on the cross, he will be with me this day in paradise. Because he's changed his attitude about life. He's tried to make things better. The thief on the cross, remember, he's talking. There was two people hanging in the air. And you go to the story in the book of John about the thief on the cross, and there's the two thieves. And the one thief accepts Christ. He says he's done nothing to deserve this sin, this punishment, except be born of a virgin and take on our sin, Jesus Christ. He didn't say all that. He just said that to the thief across from him. That was enough for him to know, God to know, that he wanted a relationship with him. And he accepted him upon that relationship. And he said, he said, he, you will be with me in paradise. Okay, what did he do in form of repentance? He says, this man, and he's referring to Christ, the thief, he says he's done nothing wrong. He recognized Jesus Christ's sinless atonement for our blood. That was all he could do. That was all. He, he gave a testimony for God. When you get baptized, you give a testimony for God. When you join the church, you give the testimony for God. God honors those things. His contract is his elect. Remember, we started out there in Titus about his elect. You know what the elect are? So I can read scripture, and it starts out with the elect being the Hebrews, and we touched upon that in Sunday school. Then it talks about the elect. It talks about Jesus Christ being the elect. Then it talks about you and I being the elect. The elect are simply those that love God as much as he loves them. Get that? The elect are those that love God as much as he loves them. The elect are those that change their life for Jesus Christ, or change their life for God's sake. Simple. We build too much out of it. We make too much out of it. They were chosen. God chose them. They chose God. You have a decision every morning, every afternoon. You have a decision three times a day when you eat lunch, whether you're going to pray and thank God for it. Do you love him as much as he loves you? I got to admit, I don't. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. You know how that is when you're in love. Sometimes you, you just celebrated an anniversary. Was it always roses? Don't tell me. We don't want. Uh, oh, she is there. Okay. I was gonna, but your relationship with God. And if you're one of his elect, you're going to go to the grave for him. You're going to suffer for him. You're going to make changes in your life for him. You're going to become more of what he wants you to be, despite your desires. I got a tote load of, of 
No, I'm not to there yet, thank you. I've got a tote load of diplomas. I'm going to hang in that office there. I got a ton of that junk. I got a bunch more that won't even fit on the wall up there. I'm going to put upstairs in the other office. I don't need them. As like Brother uh, Bill said for Sunday school, I'm just amazed that God can use anybody. He's so hard up, he'll even use me. And it doesn't matter what you got to hang on your wall. It doesn't matter what you have, what you are. As long as you want to love him as much as he loves you, you're going to go somewhere with him. I'm standing before you today. He took us to Alaska. He gave us our dreams. He gave us our dreams. Like to have the kids in church, but they're knockety, but they'll be coming once in a while. So there's always more. There's always more. But are you loving God as much as he loves you? Are you where you should be in your life, in your walk with him? Are you sacrificing for him anything as much as he's sacrificed for you? We, we, we like to behave like a bunch of spoiled kids with God. By spoiled kids, I mean, Brother Dale even touched upon it in Sunday school too. It was a very good Sunday school lesson. Uh, you know, we love those kids. We'll do anything for them. But we'd like them to, to remember Mother's Day and Father's Day and our anniversary and to take the garbage out and to feed the dog and to, uh, you know, pick up their rooms. Are we that way with God? We know he loves us and we know we love him, but how much do you love him? If you want to be one of his elect, all you have to do is start loving him as much as he loves you. That's the whole point of that. So... God can't change. That's the way he's wired. That's the way he's made. That's, well, I don't even know if he was ever made. That's the way he exists. He set down those rules for us. And you know, if we follow those rules, if we follow morality, if we follow those things that society likes to think that we just developed, if we take those as hands-down laws for mankind, principles we should live by, as we adhere to them, whether we're saved or not, we will receive blessings and longevity. I got an uncle that's as lost as a man in a snowstorm. He invented, he fostered, helped finance crane computers. Uh, probably got some over at the hospital. They're big-time computers. He's rich, millionaire. He's got 16 kids. They all fight over his money. They're my cousins. He is as lost as a man in a snowstorm. But he's been blessed because he follows godly moral principles. He's a devout Catholic. Can't stand any Baptist or Christians. Born again is a complete turnoff to him. The devil's masking. Look at me. I've been blessed. And he has because he follows biblical principles, whether you're saved or not. Now, as you surrender your life to God and you follow biblical principles, 
when you are accepted Christ as your personal Savior, which is the first thing and most important thing to take care of, the rest of your life you spend trying to adapt to and conform yourself to those biblical concepts and principles that God himself laid out, who cannot change, who cannot lie. He promises you that half of the contract. He says you'll be blessed. And I can show you hundreds of people that have been blessed, directly or indirectly, because of God's grace towards mankind. How much are you going to wallow in that grace? How much are you going to exist in that grace? It's all up to you. How much you're going to prosper in that grace is entirely up to you. Oh, I'm going to heaven when I die. I've had men tell me that on death row. I'm going to heaven when I die. There's no argument with that. But you found out too late that the principles you live by didn't match up with God's. And he can't bless you now. I can't do anything for you except have mercy on you. All right, let's go to God cannot allow sinners into heaven. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. This is in 1 John Chapter 1, we're going to go through all 10 verses briefly, so hang on to your seat. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you eternal life, which was, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, the apostles talking to uh, the congregation, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. We're in 1 John chapter 1. And these things write we unto you. God used, and God used the Holy Spirit and man to write these things unto you. Verse 4, that your joy may be full. And that's what we're talking about here with repentance and, and uh, a witness and a testimony for Christ and adhering to his word as much as possible you're going to live a lot better life as you conform more to God, as you yield more to God, as you love God more. You'll have a lot better life. If we say then that we have fellowship him and walk in darkness, we do not, we, and do not the truth. If, there's three or four ifs right here I'd like you to see in verse 6. I'll read verse 5. Then, this then is the message which we have heard from him and declare unto you that God is light and in him so no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's what church membership's about. That's what being around other Christians is all about. That's what making commitments towards Christ is all about. I'm in verse 7 of 1 John chapter 1. Then there's another if. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So you can try to fool yourself all day telling me how great you are, and I'm going to ask you if you want to fly. And you're going to have to tell me you can't or you don't want to. So we're back there. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I'm going to go down to verse 10. 
If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. Who's a liar? God. We don't believe his word. We're not taking him at his word. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I jump back up to the last if, the positive if, in first, I got to remember where I'm at, first John chapter 1. Verse 9. So that's what you go to church for sometimes to get bawled out. Sometimes you get lifted up. I get encouraged sometimes to know that everyone here is the same as me. To a degree, you're not all bald. And, you, and the old saying, it keeps coming through my mind, you don't all put your pants on one leg at a time because some of you don't wear pants. So... <laughs> But we're all the same in humanity's eyes, every one of us. And God loves us. The positive side of the whole story is God loves you. And the challenge you have today of being in church is does, do you love him as much as he loves you? And that's where each one of us can kind of step on the ship and, and get up a little more and get forward a little bit and improve our lives. It's a relationship with that man, that God. It's a personal relationship. It can't be taken away. God said so. He cannot lie. He cannot change. He can change his mind, but he cannot change the fact that once he said it and it's declared it and this is the way it happens, it's not going to happen any other way. He's held himself to these principles from Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, he's held himself that blood has to be shed for the remission of sin all the way through the Bible, all the way through history. Now the only reason we don't sacrifice lambs and, and goats is because Christ sacrificed his pure blood, his innocent blood. The Old Testament was a picture of what was coming. Now we look back. I don't know where you're living I don't know where you're at with your attitude, but God wants to be part of your life, and he wants to bless you, and he can't bless you until you start loving him as much as he loves you. The only hindrance is, what was that Sunday school? Your biggest enemy is yourself, is what I always call it, but you put your hand above your head, and the, uh, the uh, you want to get up and play the piano, Mom? You put your hand above your head, and the only thing stopping you from getting to heaven is what's between your head and heaven. That's you. you. You got the choice. You got the opportunity. Let's all stand. I don't know where you're at today. I, I, you've taken some steps. You know, my, my wife, uh, I told her one time when I came home, I says, you know, I'm sure glad I married you in my humbleness. I said, I'm sure glad I married you. I even come home tonight. And she, she snapped back and she said, I, says, I said to her, I even come home tonight. Doesn't that show you how much I love you? And she says, I'm here God is here. Why don't you take 
and take a step towards him today. I don't know what he wants you to do. I don't know what challenges are before you. I don't know what your struggles are. But I do know if you trust in God who cannot lie, if you trust in God who cannot change, if you trust in God who cannot allow sin into his presence, he has already made that all possible through his son, Jesus Christ, for you to come before him and to grow and experience him in your lives.